If you have a Bible, could I invite you to turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. It's page 1188 in the, the Red Pew Bibles. And we're going to break into this letter as the writer, the Apostle Paul, is talking about the hope of resurrection. And he's making the point, the profound and the life-altering point, that because we believe, because we passionately believe that Jesus died and rose again, and as we approach Easter, those realities come into sharp focus. But since we believe that, we as Christians have this hope, this incredible hope that someday, one day, whenever he returns All Christians, those who are still alive and those who have died in Christ, they will be with the Lord forever. Death is not the end. This life with all its ups and downs, joys and sorrows, mess and excitement is not all there is, thank God. There is a new day coming, a new world beyond our wildest dreams to enjoy. A new heaven, a new earth, a new level of existence to experience. Now in terms of when that will all take place and how it's all going to play out, we don't know the specifics. Other than it's definitely going to happen And we need to be ready for it. We need to be prepared for it and alert to it. But right at the end of this teaching, Paul inserts an instruction on how we must live in the here and now. How we should relate to one another in the present as we wait. It's connected, of course, it's connected to what he's just been saying in the first 10 verses here. But it's also an instruction and a critical piece of advice that stands alone. And here it is. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up as, in fact, you are doing. Okay, let's stand for the public reading of God's living word. 1 Thessalonians 5 beginning at verse 1. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And while people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. There's our hope. Therefore, encourage one another 
and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. Take a seat. We, as a church, have been thinking about the importance of of loving one another. And there are a couple of key reasons for that. One, because we have been commanded to do it. And secondly, because it clarifies that we are disciples of Jesus Christ, as Jesus himself said here on this occasion in John 13. But the question we've been asking and exploring is this. What does that actually mean? What does it actually look like? to love one another in a local church and in a local Christian community like Windsor Baptist? How do you go about expressing this love? And what we have discovered is that throughout the New Testament, you find all these one another's that actually explain what it means and explain what it looks like. It's all there. And so far, we've looked at the need to forgive one another, to confess our sins to one another, to pray for one another, to serve one another. And we've also thought about what we should not do to one another, that we must not bite, we must not devour one another, we must not become conceited, provoking and envying one another, and we should never judge one another. Because all of those things wreck community and are not expressions of love but this morning as we get back on track with the positives I want us to think about the importance of encouragement which someone has referred to as oxygen for the soul and I love that encouragement is oxygen for the soul William Barclay great Scottish scholar wrote these words one of the highest duties is the duty of encouragement It is easy to discourage others. The world is full of discouragers. We have a Christian duty to encourage one another. And that is so true. We live in a culture and a context where many of us often sit and watch people being encouraged or discouraged. I'm sure there are lots here who have seen The X Factor. Britain's Got Talent, Strictly Come Dancing, Dancing on Ice, Dragon's Den, or the one that starts up in a couple of weeks, The Voice. But week in and week out on these reality TV and talent shows, we watch as people are built up and encouraged or knocked down and demoralized. And I don't know about you, but as an observer, as a spectator, whenever I see or hear someone being torn to shreds, I cringe. I almost can't bear to watch it. But whenever I witness someone being affirmed and encouraged and built up, I'll be honest, and you can ask my girls about this, all four of them, and I know they despair of me, but I sit there with a lump in my throat and a tear in my eye, actually tears streaming down my face. It's sad, I know. But I wonder, is that how God feels whenever we tear someone down or build someone up? He cries or he cringes. I don't know. But this morning, as part of our One Another series, I want us to consider the importance of encouragement, which isn't just a good idea or a nice thing to do. It is, in fact, a biblical command. It doesn't just enhance another person's life or sense of well-being, and it does do that, but it's also an act of obedience. As Christians, this isn't a suggested practice It's an explicit instruction. Therefore, writes Paul, encourage one another. Build each other up as, in fact, you are doing. So two questions. When was the last time you received encouragement from someone? 
And when was the last time you encouraged another person? I'm kind of keen that this is as practical as possible this morning. And so pretty early on, let me set a challenge. Before today ends, can I suggest you find 10 minutes to write a short note of encouragement? Not a text, not an email, not a Facebook message, not a tweet. But actually, and I know this is a radical idea, right? But a handwritten note or letter of encouragement. Let me challenge you to just find 10 minutes today to do that. Send it to a mum. Good day to do that. Send it to one of the junior church teachers of your kids. Whoever. Just take 10 minutes today. Now I realise there are many ways to encourage one another that don't involve spoken or written words. You take a meal to someone when they're sick. You go and watch a friend play or perform. You help someone move house, etc., etc. There are many, many things that we can actively do to encourage one another. But as we continue to tease this out, I want to concentrate on the verbal dimension of encouragement. Because the Bible has quite a lot to say about that, teach about that. I want to consider the importance of what we say to people and what we say about people, which kind of connects to what we were looking at two weeks ago. In another of Paul's letters, he writes, to a, he writes to a local church, a group of Christians, about the nature of Christian living. About what it means to put on the new self. What it means to be created, to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And so as he writes to these Christians, you find it in Ephesians 4, 17 to 32, he talks about what we need to get rid of and what you need to embrace. It's very practical teaching, as it often is in God's word. And those verses, 17 through to 32, Ephesians 4, are packed with essential discipleship advice. But let me just highlight one key sentence that ties in with what we're thinking about today. Do not let, says Paul, any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Here's the bit. But only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Now, this is one of those gems of biblical truth and wisdom that, if practiced, would solve or certainly go a long way towards solving virtually every relational problem that exists today. I mean, can you imagine the transforming dynamic that this way of speaking to one another or about one another would bring to a whole raft of our relationships? If you actually grabbed this, embraced this, lived this, Think of the impact on marriages, on family life, on community tension, on church togetherness. It would certainly set us apart as individuals if we never said anything that hurt, ran down, offended, labelled, damaged, degraded, insulted or belittled another human being set us apart as individuals and as a corporate group and what do you do with verses and teaching like that I think there is a danger at least there is for me I'll be honest in thinking yes it's a great principle 
It's something that I know and I can see is, is so important. We should aim for it. We should strive after this. But actually, it's virtually impossible. It's unachievable. It's too idealistic. And yet, as those who are going through a process of transformation of becoming more like Jesus, which is the journey many of us are on, as those who are being made new in our attitude of mind, as Paul actually talks about in Ephesians 4, I honestly believe that this is the kind of life teaching that we need to face up to, we need to wrestle with, we need to work out, not on our own, because that would be impossible, but we need to work this out with God's help. No unwholesome talk, only what builds each other up. You see, and I know this is something that we've been stressing recently, but what we say and how we speak matters. It matters to God in terms of our growth and maturity. The Bible has so much to say about the power and influence of our words, and therefore in light of this sentence, this core instruction on Christian living, because that's what Paul is talking about. He's given instructions on how to live as a Christian. So here's core teaching on Christian living, and in light of this, In light of this, let me invite you to do something. In the silence of just a few moments, I want you to audit your spoken words from the past 24, 48 hours. And filter them through this verse and ask yourself this. Have my words built up or torn down? Take a moment. I I realize that an exercise like that is relatively sobering. But surely, surely, it is this sort of personal and honest reflection that is essential in our discipleship in our journey towards Christ-likeness, in our journey towards living it out, what it means to love one another. Proverbs, the Old Testament book of wisdom of life, reminds us that the tongue can bring death or life. The words we speak are that important. They have that degree of power and impact. And therefore, we need to monitor our speech and consider our verbal communication as we speak to and about one another. Let's only say what's helpful for building each other up. What will benefit those who are listening in what I say? It's so practical. But as we take this a little further, let me say a couple of other things. This time... Spilling out of a verse from Hebrews 3. And here's the two points I want to make. Encouragement is a daily necessity and a protective essential. Listen to or look at these words from Hebrews 3. But encourage one another daily. As long as it's still called today. So that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness, or in another translation, so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. Encourage one another daily. 
It needs to be an everyday activity and choice. It requires intentionality. It doesn't come naturally. It doesn't come naturally in a culture that tries to squeeze us into its mold and a culture that appears to thrive on putting people down, taking cheap shots, making negative comments, engaging in gossip and scathing sarcasm. That's the world we live in. But we're urged to be different. We're urged to be encouragers on a daily basis. I choose today to speak words that will build you up. But you know something? It's a choice I need to make tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. And that way, it becomes a habit, a holy habit that we get into and we get hooked on because we're doing it constantly and consistently. But notice that there's also an urgency attached to this. The writer says we should do this, did you notice, as long as it is called today with a capital T in some of our Bibles or in quotes in others. Today doesn't last forever. And therefore we should be encouraging each other right now. We need to be making the most of today's opportunities and conversations. Use time while you have it because someday, and maybe here's the bigger issue, someday there will be no more present time. A new never-ending day is coming as we talked about at the beginning whenever we will be with the Lord forever and then everything changes and there will be no more need to encourage each other. But as long as it's still called today, do it. (coughs) Do it. So it's a current daily necessity. But encouragement is also a protective essential because we do it so that none of us will be deceived by sin. Or hardened against God. So how does that work? Well, if you go back to the original and investigate this word encourage in the Greek. And I am no Greek scholar. And there are lots of far better Greek scholars here. Joanne, Jonathan, ask them all about this later. They'll sort me out afterwards anyway. But when you go back to the original, you discover that it has a deeper, richer, broader meaning than we initially realize or immediately think. Here is the word, not even going to try to pronounce it, but here's what it means. It means to come alongside or to call someone to your side. And the idea is that once you come alongside or once someone arrives by your side, you stick an arm around their shoulder and then you speak into their life. And you speak into their life Words of challenge, words of comfort, you teach them, you instruct them, you admonish them. And all of that is part of what means to encourage one another. And therefore, what you discover, and this is important, is that encouragement as a Christian community is more than just speaking positive, affirming words. It's more than that. It can also include a word of warning to another Christian brother or sister about the choices that they're making and the decisions they're taking. And so to encourage can mean to speak tough words, challenging words, heart-searching words. But, here's the bit, but the purpose of speaking those words is always to build them up and protect them so that they will not be deceived by sin. We can, we must encourage one another in the Christian life. How? By coming alongside, by calling someone to our side in order to spur them on in this journey. So let's do that on a regular basis as we look out for each other. It's a daily necessity, 
It's a protective essential. To finish, what I want to do is kind of look at the Bible character for a moment who almost immediately comes to mind whenever you think of encouragement. And and no kind of brief look at this issue would be complete without at least a reference to him. So who is known or who has the reputation of being the biblical encourager? Barnabas, which isn't his real name. It's his nickname. His real name is what? Joseph. Joseph is his real name. But he was given this nickname, and does anyone know exactly what it means? Son of encouragement, according to Acts 4.37. Because it seems that everywhere this guy went, he left behind him a trail of encouraged people. A church full of Barnabases would be a great place to belong, wouldn't it? Imagine a church full of Thomases. You'd never be sure of anything. Church full of Peters, you'd never be out of trouble. Church full of Pauls, you'd never relax. A church full of James and Johns, the sons of thunder, you'd never be far from a row. But a church full of Barnabases, a church packed with encouragers, that would be an amazing place. Now, we don't know a huge amount about him. Very little. A couple of reasons why he was given the nickname. But See, I think it's fair to say that Paul or Saul wasn't exactly welcomed with open arms whenever word filtered through that he had joined the way. Whenever word got out that Paul had become a Christian, people were incredibly nervous. Paul's reputation went before him. Everybody who knew him or knew about him were aware of his anti-Christian activity. He had a first-class mind, but alongside that, he had a hate-filled passion to destroy the church. Everybody knew that. And so whenever you read these words from Acts 9, you can understand people's suspicion and people's fear. When Saul came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. And that's fair enough. Because a few verses earlier, it actually says that the last time Saul had been in Jerusalem, he wreaked havoc. So here he is now back claiming to have joined the way to have become a Christian. And everybody's anxious. And everybody's nervous. And everybody's afraid. So what's going to happen? Well, in steps Barnabas. Barnabas steps in and he introduces Saul to the group and he speaks up on Saul's behalf. Now, why did he do that? We're not exactly sure. The text doesn't explicitly tell us. But his nickname does. Barnabas was an encourager. And he wanted to affirm this new Christian, even though others weren't even sure he was a Christian. And you know something? If Barnabas hadn't done that, who knows what might have happened? History may have been very different. And yet, Barnabas supported and encouraged this new Christian. And the rest is history. And each and every local church needs those kind of people. Those people who draw alongside and encourage new believers in the faith. 
Barnabas did it. The second reason why he got this nickname was because he appears to have encouraged someone who messed up. Someone who certainly struggled for a way was encouraged by Barnabas. And we desperately need those kind of encouragers today because there are many within our communities, communities of faith, Christian communities who have messed up and they don't need to be judged. They need someone to come alongside them, put an arm around their shoulder and yes, speak into their life harsh words, challenging words, heart-searching words, but all with the intention of building that person up. The end of Acts 12, beginning of Acts 13, we discover that Paul and Barnabas had taken this guy called John, also called Mark, with them on their missionary journeys. A couple of chapters later, we read that Paul and Barnabas had a bit of a disagreement concerning Mark. That's to put it mildly. It actually appears to have been quite a bust up because it says Paul and Barnabas had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. They fell out at some level. Fell out. And it turns out that John Mark had deserted Barnabas and Paul at some point and for some reason. But Barnabas wanted to encourage this guy. And so what Barnabas did was he invited John Mark to join him on his journey to Cyprus and Paul took someone else and went somewhere else. And you know something? People will let us down. People will disappoint us. People will mess up. People may even turn their backs on us. It's not our place to write them off. It's not our place to tear them down. We've got to encourage them. And as I've said, that may take the form of speaking words of admonishment, which is another clear biblical one another that we're going to look at in a few weeks. But it must always be done with this intention. I want to encourage you. I want to build you up. I want to protect you. I want to spur you on in your journey with Jesus. It's interesting to know that whenever Paul was much older, he actually sent for John Mark. 2 Timothy 4 tells us this, that Paul sent for him because he said, I believe he will be helpful in my ministry. (laughs) But I wonder what would have happened to John Mark if Barnabas hadn't encouraged him earlier on. If he hadn't put an arm around his shoulder and taken him with him to Cyprus. Would he have ever got to that place? So Barnabas encouraged new Christians even when others were suspicious of their claims to faith. He encouraged those who didn't always get it right. And I hope and pray we'll be a church that are packed with encouragers. Who draw alongside new Christians and who draw alongside struggling Christians. And so this morning as I close, let's acknowledge that we've got to encourage one another. It's a biblical command. It's a Christian duty to quote Barclay. Let's also be so careful about the way we speak, that we should only say things, and how difficult is this, that we should only say what is helpful for building others up and not tearing them down. Thirdly, let's recognize that encouragement is a daily necessity and a protective essential. And finally, let's thank God for Barnabas. And may we be sons and daughters of encouragement. And a quote to finish. Flatter me, and I may not believe you. Criticize me, and I may not like you. Ignore me and I may not forgive you. Encourage me and I will not forget you. Let's pray. God, may we be 
a church of encouragers. May we be sons and daughters of encouragement. May we be people who come alongside, who call those others who are new in the faith, struggling in their faith, or our brothers and sisters to our side. And may we speak words that build each other up and not tear down. We recognize we need your help. We thank you for the promise of your constant presence, your indwelling Holy Spirit, who is making us more like Jesus. And therefore we pray and ask you to help us to keep in step with him as we journey towards Christ-likeness and as we become a community that loves one another and speaks volumes to a watching world. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Brian.